is this leader of the year named by Marketing News Canada, making the competition irrelevant? While most people know that consultant-type businesses don't scale, this agency owner isn't too concerned with scaling right now. Instead, he's focusing on what he calls building a defensible model. In other words, he would rather be in an uncontested marketplace than compete in a crowded one. And he's carved out a healthy portfolio of B2Bs in travel, tech, and retail. Welcome to the Small But Mighty Agency Podcast. If you're a creative consultant or agency owner who wants to know what the roller coaster ride really looks like to grow your business from one to many, you're in the right place. My guest and I pull back the curtains on the realities of growing and running agencies of different sizes and what it takes to build a team. And if you're anything like me, you want more than the highlight reel. You want to learn from the mistakes of others so that you can stop short of making the same mistakes. I'm your host, Audrey Joy Kwan. I spend my days as a coach and consultant to multiple six and seven figure agency owners. For the last seven years, I've been behind the scenes helping people grow, lead and operate small but mighty agencies. Here at the Small But Mighty Agency podcast, we'll uncover what works and equally as important what didn't work to get these business owners to where they are today. Over the course of the last seven years, I've been meeting, connecting, and working with people who are innovating and changing the definition of what an agency is. When most of us think of a marketing agency, we think of a service provider who's implementing marketing services for clients. Well, today we meet Connor and we get an inside peek at an agency that provides strategy, but doesn't implement the strategy they provide. Instead, they train their client's team to execute on their strategy. Now that's an interesting agency model. Before we dive in, Connor, tell us about your agency, what you do, and who's on your team. Thanks so much for having me on, Audrey. Um, yeah, my name is Connor. I run um, Junction Consulting. Yeah, we, we work directly with our clients to help them to build what we call digital from the inside out, which I mean, I think is an exciting way of, of thinking about, you know, agencies and creative and the work that we do. And, you know, the what makes me most excited about the work is we get to be partners with our clients, you know, as, as we build, you know, what they're up to in the long run. How did you start your business, Connor? I think that's a great question. <laughs> we, you know what, it was, we were back in 2010, I'd say, um, the Olympics was coming to Vancouver. Um, some friends of mine and I, we had all been like, playing around on the internet, you know, launching websites and starting Twitter accounts. I was still actually kind of in business school. Um, and had been running the the blog and the Twitter account for my for my business school. And we looked at each other and we said, with the Olympics coming to town here in Vancouver, if we don't take advantage of this, if we don't do something business-wise, we're stupid, right? So like we we got together and we we put all of the ideas on the table. Do we start a t-shirt business? Do we have a, a food cart? Like what what do we do? And what we finally landed on was there was no single source out there for information about Olympic hockey on the internet. And this blew our minds because like TSN, ESPN, they were just kind of getting started on the internet in those days, but they were talking about the Olympics in general. And we said, if we can create the definitive source for sort of boots on the ground information about what's happening in Olympic hockey, you know, we're going to have something here. And we were able to sell advertising and, you know, get, do all of the early internet things. And, And we had a lot of success because, you know, we were quite frankly, on Granville Street, watching these hockey players go in and out of bars, getting that inside information. And after the Olympics, we looked at each other and we went, we were able to get somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter million people to come read this blog that a, you know, a couple of 
young people working out of a coffee shop were writing, why isn't everybody doing this? You know, why isn't every brand taking advantage of the internet? So we started an agency and none of us knew what we were doing. <laughs> we, none of us had ever run an agency or worked at an agency. We just, you know, had a hunch that this internet thing was going to be a big deal. And so we, we ran that for, I'd say, five years or so. It was a lot of fun. We got to run campaigns and build websites and do social content and influencers and all that kind of good stuff. And it wasn't until about 2015 or so that we finally pivoted away from the creative services model and into the consulting model. Tell us more about the two different models. What did your agency model look like before? And how does your consultant agency model look like now? Obviously, the creative services model is, is tried and tested, right? Like it, it works. Uh, and you know, I, I love great creative and I love, you know, the love working with people who run creative services shops. I'm still a big fan. And, uh, you know, that it's it's fairly simple, right? Somebody comes to you and they, they need creative services and they pay you and and you you provide it. Well, what we realized in those days was as digital was moving from being this tangent, you know, this new experiment that businesses were trying, as it was becoming a core part of how people were doing business, well, this outsourced model of all things digital just wasn't sustainable anymore. Right. So we we said to ourselves, <clears throat> well, if, if we if we know, if we understand that digital is a fundamental part of business. It's it's as important as pricing strategy and product and, and all of these other things that, that a business is doing. If, if it really is that important, then, you know, what are we doing being part of the, you know, what we see as being the problem? And so we switched to doing only consulting. And, and that model now looks like we do value-based pricing. We work directly with clients to help them to solve problems, to build strategies, to train their teams, to, you know, figure out anything from how do we, you know, how is our, our organizational flow work to which channels should we use? Where are we investing our, our, our resources? You know, how are we effectively solving these problems? And then we find that at the end of the day, we're effectively creating better clients, Right. And agencies love working with our clients because they write great briefs, they understand what they're up to, and they just generally get what's possible with digital. So in the creative service model that you were offering before, it was very traditional in the sense that you were helping your clients implement the strategy. Yeah. And honestly, to even call it a strategy, is it's a stretch. We were, um, people would say, I need a website. And we'd say, yes, absolutely. We'll build you a website. Or I need to buy Google ads. And sure, we'll, we'll buy you some Google ads. And I'd say very few clients in those days really had strategy around what they were doing. So we were we were really just a, a hired gun at that point. Clients would come to you, they would request something and you would deliver on that thing. And once that thing ended, project over, you were done. Yeah. And I mean, just like every other agency, like our goal would be to get a client on a retainer and keep them around. And we had some clients that we loved, you know, we got to work with for years um, and, and and it was fantastic. But we, what we saw was inevitably, you know, and I, I, I think a lot of agency owners who I, I still know feel this, that you're always sort of on a, a treadmill, right? Like you're always fighting against your client to keep that billing, to keep them going. And that felt unsustainable to us. You know, it felt like we we wanted to be in a position where we were working with our partners, you know, with our clients shoulder to shoulder and solving problems um, rather than pitching them services. Now in your consulting model, you mentioned a couple of things. Can you provide more detail about how a consulting model works for Junction? Yeah. And so it's, it's really interesting, right? So we, we, what we do is we go to a client and, and, and they, we say effectively, like, what, what would success look like, right? Like, what, what are you looking for? And, and sometimes that means 
they want to enter into a new market, right? Or they very often the client says, well, we've had a lot of success. We've gotten to a, you know, a, a plateau. Um, but what we know is what's gotten us here isn't going to get us there. And so how do we go from wherever we are um, to where we want to go? And, and with given how new digital is as a business practice, like there isn't, you know, there isn't a textbook out there like there is, say, for accounting or for legal or for finance. And so they what they need is sort of that <clears throat> that framework for how we get from here to there. And so the consulting model looks like them saying, we don't know what we don't know. And us saying, well, we're going to work with you to effectively pull all of that knowledge and expertise out of your organization and build what that future is going to look like. In your business right now, how many people are on your team? We, we're fortunate to work in a, a flexible model um, where we get to effectively leverage part-time and, and contract work. But what we have is a really strong core of about four people full-time inside the team. And those people work directly with clients. And we are leading workshops and solving problems and, and developing strategy. And then we, we get to bring in all kinds of specialists. So, you know, if you were to, to walk into our quote, virtual office, um, you might see as many as six, seven, eight people working on a project at any given time, or you might see just a couple of people. So we're, you know, given that we're not providing sort of the same creative services over and over again, we're able to be really flexible with our numbers. Yeah, sounds like you have a core leadership team of four people, and then you bring in contractors and freelancers to fill in the needs. Exactly. Connor, what's your role right now in the business? <laughs> so my, my official title is, is president, but effectively what, what that means is I, I get to do I guess what I, I think the fun stuff. So a client comes in, you know, I get to, you know, welcome them into the business. I get to, you know, help them to solve what that big problem is. And then the, you know, I get to pull the team together and, and define all of the different parts. I'm still very much hands-on in the business right now, um, but I get to be curious, right? Like I, I think, you know, my job is, is I get to ask questions um, and try to, you know, be a, be a problem solver. So it's, it's a really fun job, to be honest with you. It sounds like you get to jump in and work at the strategic level and that's what lights you up. hundred percent. Yeah. And I mean, what, what I love about all of this too, right, is that because we're working with directly with our clients, because we're partners with them, you know, we're meeting them on their level and like on a human level. And we get to, you know, frankly, be a therapist at times and say to them, like, you know, what's going well, what's not, you know, how do we, how do we sit down and, and, and work through these problems with you? So, you know, r rather than, you know, feeling like we're always having to pitch and convince them uh, that an idea is great. Instead, like a lot of the times I'm working with these very smart, very successful humans and, and saying like, I, I bet you, you know, the answer to this problem, we just need to reframe it. Or we, we just need to, you know, pull out the knowledge from your team, which very often exists, and turn that into a plan. I'm sure this question is going to be on the minds of the listeners. Why say no to the execution of strategy? Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's interesting, right? And it's funny, I, I barely even think about that anymore, but it definitely was a Band-Aid, you know, what, when we made the switch, because, I mean, we frankly had to fire several clients, um, and especially ones that we really liked and developed relationships over time. I mean, part of it is, is philosophical. Um, we, we believe that the best strategy is completely unbiased. Um, and so what that means is that we're now able to, because we're not selling creative services, we're now able to make recommendations completely based on what we think is right for the client, right? So if I don't have to 
in the back of my head think, well, I've got this videographer and I'm only using 60% of their capacity. Like, you know, maybe we should do a video campaign, you know, and, and I, I don't have to think like, we're really good at Shopify. And so maybe they should be, build a Shopify site. <clears throat> I, I get to be completely unbiased in the strategy that we're, we're coming to our clients with. But also, you know, it's just this is the, the type of business um, that lights me up and I think lights the team up is that we get to be completely focused on, on solving problems. And, and we also get to be the cheerleaders for the people who love making those videos or creating those graphics and building those websites. So I think that in, in a lot of ways, we create Venn diagrams um, with our partners um, who we love to work with. You mentioned that when you have a business that sells implementation, there can be a bias in how to best serve clients. When you had a creative marketing agency, how did that bias play out? I mean, you know, whenever we have financial incentives, whether we want to or not, we're going to have certain biases, right? Like it's, it's going to be in the back of our heads. And yeah, like we back, back then we were really good say at social advertising. And so there's a a cliche that, you know, when you're, you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Uh, I would look at every problem and be like, oh, social advertising, it can fix that. (laughs) Right. And most of the time I was probably right. But the, I, I wonder now, looking back, like what opportunities were left on the table by that, you know, semi myopic perspective, right? And you know, and I think I think there's a, a ton of space for people who are really, really good at one thing. And um, you know, if you're really good at social advertising, awesome, go for it. You know, but what what we were positioning ourselves in those days as was sort of the everything shop, and and what I wanted to make sure was when our, when clients thought they were getting. A, a whole a holistic view into what was possible with digital that I was actually able to provide that for them. Okay, so what I hear you say is that when you offer services, there's a natural desire or uh, movement towards wanting to pitch those services because you know that what you do or what your company does is effective in those. So you lean toward those, which creates a little bit of a bias, even if it's unconscious. A hundred percent. And I actually think that I, I, li- I like that term you use, leaning into it. I think that we should all lean into it, right? Like if we're phenomenal at search engine optimization, or if we're like the best at running say travel and tourism digital marketing campaigns that's what we should do right and and then we don't have to worry about you know it, are are we going to lean in this direction or that direction this this is the thing that we know that we're best at and that's what we're selling whereas when it comes to strategy i think we need to be really clear with our clients about like what are the bounds of this strategy i i am not going to be the best person to build your out of home traditional advertising strategy I, I know that I'm not going to be the best person at, at you know at at doing things that that are outside of the bounds of what we do. But when it comes to building what we call digital from the inside out, building digital capacity inside of an organization, and then turning that into investments in social content and advertising and all of that good stuff, that 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 is our bounds, and that's where we really thrive. When you say from inside out, what you're really doing is coming in and uncovering all the things that are happening inside the actual client that you're working with and acting as if you were part of the organization and coming up with exactly what they need to do and then going ahead and helping them find the resources to implement it. Nailed it. Yeah. And, and here I, I can share a specific um, the. This is something that's been coming up recently, right? So somebody will come to us and they'll they'll think that what they want is a plan for, say, social content, right? Or they'll think they want, a, a, you know, a, a development to make their e-commerce run more efficiently. Um, and then what we'll dig into and realize is that they have teams, you know, maybe it's a person, maybe it's a group working on, say, e-commerce. And then we have a team that's working on retail. And then we have a team that's working on, you know, digital content. 
And, and then what we'll dig into is like, okay, well, you know, how are these people being incentivized? Like what does success look like for each of them? And what we've done is logically over the last say decade is that we've built these verticals inside of organizations. Again, it, it could be one person, it could be many people. And we say e-commerce team sell stuff on the website. And we say retail team sell stuff on, you know, offline and social team. We want you to get, I don't know, like views and engagement or whatever. But at the end of the day, what we know is that like a really well-structured digital strategy is taking people from say a social ad to an offline purchase, right? And then a really good offline purchase experience is then driving people to become more loyal, which then means more digital purchases. And a great digital experience might send people to an offline event, you know, and all of these things work together. And so when we think about these things, what, what, you know, the not digital from the inside out or whatever the opposite of that is, we, we, uh, we allow ourselves to think of the offline and the online world as different things. And it causes all kinds of repercussions in terms of how we hire, how we incentivize our people, how we develop our structure and our organization. And so what, you know, what we've been you know, working with these clients on is like, okay, how do we break that down? And honestly, the earlier we do that, the better. You know, if, if we're in the, the early phase of an organization, we're starting to get a little bit of success and the market's starting to pay, pay off and like we're getting some traction, great. You know, we, we, we can build that from the ground up. If we've been around for a couple of decades and we have bonuses and equity structures and managers and team leaders, that, that's a heavier lift. Um, but it's still absolutely necessary in order for us to create that future, which we know, of course, is going to include things like buy online, pick up in store is going to include applications and social buying. And, you know, as, as new technology comes out, it's going to become more and more important that we have this digital from the inside out perspective. Your service offering won't be for everyone. There are clients who need and want full execution. And then there are clients who already have strategy and marketing leadership in play. That means your ideal client is most likely a business that is in a very specific stage of business. Can you describe what that stage looks like? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would suggest that our client is one that knows that there's more potential for them with their digital strategy and one that wants to work more effectively with creative services. Maybe we live within a niche, but I, I think you have a tough time finding any client that didn't match both of those things, right? If you find anybody who didn't know that there was something that they could be doing better or stronger or more sustainably, something that were, they could be unlocking more value from their, their organization, and who wanted to be a better client to their creative services agencies, right? So you're 100% right. There, there is a sweet spot of client that works best. Um, and very often that's somebody who's had a lot of growth or a lot of success. And they realize that, as I've said, you know, what, what's gotten them here is not necessarily going to get them there. You know, they, they look at their digital team and they see we've got a couple of people on the team and that, you know, they're talented, they're pushing the organization forward. We've got maybe a director or a VP who's really good at what they do and they develop strategy, but there's a gap in between those two. You know, they don't necessarily speak exactly the same language all the time. Um, and we can come in and help to close that gap. But at, at the end of the day, I mean, I think every organization, you know, needs to increasingly be digital from the inside out. So I, I like to think that we can you know, unlock value for any organization. I'm curious about your service offerings. From what I can gather, every proposal would be a highly customized one, and it's not likely it can be a productized service. 
Yeah, and and that's sort of the, the nature of consulting, right? Is that like no no two clients are the same, which means that no no two solutions can be the same. And I, I think th- th- this has been you know something we've been re- working really hard on for the last you know couple of years. Is we entered into consulting just being like we've been doing this for a while, we can help to solve problems for people, and they would come to us and they'd have questions, and we'd do these great workshops, and it was it was really inspiring. But we said, could we be more efficient for our clients, and like could we? systemize it to a point where like people are getting a really consistent level of service and like we're able to replicate the success over and over again and where we've gotten it to now is we effectively have we we identify where effectively the the phase of the organization is right so a phase one organization is you were just getting started in digital we might have been around for 20 years we might have been around for one year but like digital is still a brand new thing so we would create a very custom, but a, a system that we've seen work over and over and over again to help get them started, you know, to help to work with some agencies, get a, a better website built, make sure that they're hiring maybe their first few people inside the organization. And so that's sort of a phase one. And then moving from phase one to phase two, it's like, okay, well, how do we really accelerate what we're doing here? You know, do we, does that mean that we bringing a little bit more in-house through developing skills inside the team? Does that mean that we're developing process and strategy? And like, what are all the things that we need to do to take this to another level? So that we've got, you know, we've got a, a fairly systemized process around that. And then the, the, the final phase, phase three, it's a you know, fully realized digital organization. And moving from two to three is about working with great creatives outside the organization, pushing forward what we're doing. And so that involves a bunch more things that we're able to offer. And so we effectively what we have is three different types of ser- services that we can pick and choose and customize for each organization, but we know we're able to deliver that same level of quality every time. Setting up a business so that it's scalable is top of mind for many business owners. What are your thoughts on that and how do you approach it? So yes, I, I agree with that. I would also question you know, what, what people mean when they say scalability sometimes, because I think by default, especially in this sort of digital and, and, and tech era, scalability to some people means we need to be able to get to a million users or we need to be able to have a thousand employees. And and I, I kind of look at that and I go, why? <laughs> you know, like if we're having a great time doing what we're doing, you know, if we're profitable, if the people who work for us love working for us and our clients love working with us, you know, why mess that up? You know, and everybody loves to grow. Um, but I, I, I think that there's become a bit of a, a glorification of hyperscalability. And especially in the services industry, some of my favorite shops over the last, you know, the, the, my favorite case studies over the last say, 40 or 50 years have been the ones who have seen that like slow and steady and consistent growth, considering how they are best serving their clients and how they're best serving their team so that everybody loves coming to work every day. And that doesn't necessarily match with what we would call, quote, uh, scalability. I love what you just shared there. Scaling slow isn't a bad thing and enjoying the work is even more important. 100%. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I would rather have a, a business that I, I love running and I'm excited to go and work on every day um, with I don't know, t- 10 people who I love working with than seeing this, this hyper growth up to a thousand people and then having to <laughs> turn around and figure out how to run a thousand person organization. I think I think that there's a real a real value in, in being intentional in the way you grow an organization. What are your thoughts on how competitive it is out there for agencies? In in the services industry and in agencies in particular, what I find is that well, we start off with a great idea, right? And um, we start off with, you know, maybe we're smarter or better or more creative or we have a unique perspective. 
and that's great. And, you know, that, that gets us to the next level. It, it gets us a few clients, but inevitably, you know, whether it's at 15 or 30 and 50 or 500 employees, we sort of reach commodity, right? It, it, inevitably we reach a, a point where we're effect, we're, we're competing on price uh, or we're competing on our ability to recruit and hire. And, and so when, when we looked forward, we, we said, we don't, you know, in, in those days, we were just a digital agency. We're like, we, you know, we, we needed to have something that we were really proud of that we, we knew that we were best in the world at. And I mean, I'm, I'm not the best in the world graphic designer or creator or website designer or whatever, but I, we think that we're really good at, at developing a strategy and building, you know, and digital from the inside out. And so for us, it's about getting really clear on what that thing is. And if we figure out over the next year or two, how to scale that to a point where we can be doing that in multiple countries and like have employees or, you know, staff or, you know, whatever that looks like on a, a larger scale. Awesome. But I, I, I think that when, when we're thinking about a services industry, the first and most important thing we need to figure out is like, what do we have this defensible? Like, what, what do we have that that's different or better than anybody else that's out there? On this topic of having something that is defensible or another way of putting it, having intellectual property to make you a category of one, what do you think that is for Junction? When we think about how we scale or how we build a defensible business, it's about you know, systemizing that, about understanding where organizations are, doing a lot of research. We spend a lot of our time like doing research and getting to know, you know where businesses are in different phases and, and what they need um, for, for the different parts of their organization. So yeah, I mean, it, it's I get excited when, when I think about creating those defensible positions and, and what makes a service industry special. And, and I love, and this is our partners who I love working with, most are the ones who know that very clearly, right? They're really, really good at building niche websites or running social campaigns for a certain type of client or, you know, working within a, a very specific industry. And, and they've built a, a defensible position as a result. Before we get back to the episode, I want to invite you to the free Strategic Connections Roundtable, where creatives, consultants, and service-based business owners can meet new business connections without the awkwardness of traditional networking. It's a curated experience where the group fit is curated so that connections and conversations thrive. That means that every month, a Strategic Connections Roundtable will bring together a group of service-based business owners in similar stages of business who can benefit from knowing each other so that you can make connections easier, share what your business offers, discover new resources, and have an opportunity to mastermind a challenge. Save your free seat at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable. Above all, I care about genuine connections and authentic relationships in business. If that's you, check out the roundtable and curated networking experience today. You can get all the details and onto the free invite list over at audreyjoyquan.com forward slash strategic dash connections dash roundtable or click on the link in the show notes right there in your podcast app. Back to the show. I'm going to switch gears here and ask you about what is working in your business right now and what's not working in your business right now. That is a, a great question. And, and I know that it's, it's one that is especially timely um, given where we are you know, right now being hopefully in this final wave of, of the pandemic. And I know that everybody has had to reconsider our businesses and, and pivot. And, and I would say that the thing that without question, you know, has, has been working best for us is a few years ago, we decided to, you know, when we did our own digital strategy to completely invest all of our time and energy in own, into own media. 
and in our own media for us um, is an email that we send out. It's once a week. It's called the brief. And it's all about like what's happening in the industry and like our opinions and our takes. And what that's allowed us to do is never have to think about, you know, getting, you know, buying ads, for example, to generate new business um, or to try to like drum up a bit of, you know, earned media in order to get awareness. And because we've completely invested in this, well, now, you know, when they're, you know, tough times come along, we're able to use that own media to support our clients or to support the industry. Uh, we're able to, you know, use it to drive a part of the business um, that we need. So like investing in own media has been probably the, the best decision that we've maybe ever made from a, a promotional perspective. And now like where we are right now, we're, we're facing huge shakeup in the digital advertising space where, you know, in the next few weeks, because of the Apple ATT update, we're going to see Facebook ads that are going to be completely different, a lack of the ability to remarket and retarget. And so like, had we instead said that we're going to rely on advertising to drive new business and new clients, I think we'd be a little nervous right now. So fo- focusing on owned media has been a, a massive win for us. Before we dive into what isn't working, I want to talk about your owned media. I know that you put out a newsletter and it's a popular one. Can you share more about this owned media and if there are other owned media channels that you're currently working on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. It, I love writing it. It's, it's called The Brief. I get to write uh, about what I see going on in the industry every week. It also, it also means that I get to you know, spend many hours a week just reading and learning and, you know, listening to, to podcasts and that kind of thing. And I get to call it work. So I, I, I get to get curious every week. Um, if anybody wants to sign up, by the way, it's at brief.wearejunction.com. That's B-R-I-E-F dot wearejunction.com. And we never sell anything. We just like, we talk about what we're up to. We shall share stories and opinions and ideas. And it's opened up so many doors for us in, from like having conversations with people in interviews to doing case studies to like, we have all of these relationships now all over North America with with um, business leaders um, who read it, read every week and like use it as an opportunity to start conversations. Honestly, it's a lot of fun, and I, I would highly recommend anybody you know start to invest in in areas where they feel passionate because it's like just allows you to do more of what you love doing. So yeah, so that goes out every Monday. We've dabbled here and there. You know, I, I did a did a Clubhouse chat every week for a little while. I don't know if anybody's on Clubhouse. That was a little that was a lot of fun. But as uh, you know, I'm sure you know, preparing for an audio broadcast is a lot of work. It is. And so we have we have more ideas than we have time, but focus has been key for us. So we, we're completely focused on the brief right now. How are you marketing the brief? Yeah. And, and so this is one of those things, right? Like people say, you know, word of mouth is, uh, you know, a, a lottery ticket, right? Word of mouth is the best advertising, but you can't control it. Well, I mean, I... I think you can. So we we don't really advertise for it. You know, I, I love to, you know, talk about it and I tell people about it. You know, if I go on a podcast, I, I shout it out. But for the most most part, like we've we've created a rewards program for the people who read and we're just constantly trying to de- deliver and over deliver value for our readers. And when they share, you know, we we find ways to say thank you. And so it's for us it's about been about finding different ways to systemize um saying thank you and rewarding people and just and frankly, giving them reasons to share it. So we think that we've done a pretty good job of creating a system uh, of word of mouth. And that's honestly where like 70 to 80% of our growth has come from. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so let's talk about what's not working. Yeah, what, what, what's what's not working? I would say the one of the biggest lessons that we've learned um, is you can't do everything. 
right? Like we're, we're super curious and we love to work in all kinds of different industries and all kinds of different spaces. And, you know, as I said, you know, from our, it's, it's right in, in our history that we tried to do everything out of the gates and we're just constantly reminded of that, right? Like from trying to do the, the clubhouse chat every week, which was super fun. And, you know, shout out to, to Charlie from right metric, who was my co-host on that. I I think it was great. Um, but even from like a business perspective, we'll, we'll get pulled in all of these different directions. And, you know, right now we love working in travel and tourism. We work in retail and we work in tech, right? And those are the, the industries that we're having a lot of fun in and having a lot of success. And so, you know, we'll dabble here and there, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll get pulled in, in one direction here in that. But like, I would say w- without question, the, the common theme of every time we've, we've tripped and fallen on our, fallen on our faces, it's, it's when we've lost that true north and we've tried to get outside of what we know we're best at. Thank you. Hey, Connor, before we wrap up here, what keeps you inspired and at your best? It, it's inspiration is a funny thing, right? Cause like, so I just, I, I love this space that we're in and I love reading about it and I love writing about it and talking about it. But from a business perspective, my favorite thing about it is, is at the end of the day, all we're doing is just working with humans uh, and helping to you know make their lives better and, and solve their problems. And so when I, I think about the work that we're doing, it's easy to sort of look at this org chart or look at a, a strategy and just see the numbers and, and the nodes on it. But like what gets me inspired is when I think about these teams who that they have so much potential, right? Like the the agency that they're working with is awesome. And the contractor that they're working with wants to do great things. And their leader has all of these big ideas, but there's just some things like standing in their way. And the fact that we get to work with them to the point where that we often, we get to see that sort of click or that unlock, and then they're off and running and doing amazing things like that 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 moment right there like stick it to my veins right like that 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 right there i will get up and and you know work you know 80 hours a week for months in order to create that and so yeah in, in terms of what gets me inspired it's it's having those teams unlock what's possible for themselves and for their organizations thank you connor where can people find you online uh i'm Connor underscore G pretty much everywhere. And like, why the underscore? I, I got to tell you, this is one of the dumbest mistakes I've ever made on the internet. I was starting a Twitter account in 2008 and uh, I typed in Connor and I was like, that's boring. No, nobody wants to follow just at Connor. Uh, so let's throw a, throw an underscore G in there to, to make myself a little bit unique. Since then, I've had an ongoing internet relationship with at Connor trying to get the handle back. And he's just, he's very stubborn. So I'm Connor underscore G um, everywhere you can find me. I'm most active uh, on Twitter. You can sign up for the brief at brief.wearejunction.com. I reply to every reply um, to the brief. I think that's one of my favorite parts is when people reply and we're like, we're, we're at wearejunction.com and we, we post our favorite um, issues of the brief on, on our articles. I'm, I'm, I, I try to be a little bit of everywhere. You may even catch me on Clubhouse sometimes. Thank you so much. Well, thank thank you for having me on, Audrey. I really appreciate it. And I mean, I, this is awesome what you what you're creating. I mean, I wish this was around when I was first starting my agency back in in 2010 because there there just w- weren't these spaces to share and, and collaborate and, and and talk about ideas. So, I mean, thank you for creating this. I really appreciate that, Connor. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Small But Mighty Agency podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes. It would mean the world to me. Or send a screenshot on Instagram while tagging me at Audrey Joy Kwan.